Father in heaven, we come to you because of Jesus. We come to you inspired this morning. We've sung about your goodness, your power, your grandeur. We come to you thankful for all that you've done. But Father, we come this morning desperate for you to speak to our hearts in a way that makes a difference. This world is falling apart around us. Father, there are so many things going on that may have struck fear in our hearts. But Father, today I ask that you would shine your light and your love into our hearts in a way that gives us peace and joy that's beyond all understanding. Father, speak to our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. One of the first times that I came to San Luis Obispo County, I was about 11 years old. And my parents were actually going to be doing some things down in the San Luis Obispo area at the San Luis Obispo Church down there. And they were going to be speaking that weekend. But I was really excited because we stayed at this, these, this couple's house who was a very adventuresome couple. The, the guy, uh, some of you may know him, he had tried to climb Mount Everest. Uh, he had uh, all kinds of bicycles and things that were really delightful for an 11-year-old to be there and to get to be a part of the adventure for the weekend. He had a motorcycle and he promised me to go on a motorcycle ride on the back of his motorcycle. I was so excited for this weekend. I just thought this is going to be such an adventuresome weekend. Well, we had fun on Friday. We had fun on Sabbath. Then came Sunday morning and that was the day that I was going to ride on the back of a motorcycle for the very first time in my entire life. I was really excited about it. I'd ridden on dirt bikes before, but this was going to be on our road. This was going to be Little did I know later on, going at quite rapid pace. (laughs) Well, as we were there, waking up that morning, I remember looking around the room and everything was totally dark. But I knew that it must be day by now. I knew that it had to have been daylight, but everywhere I looked, it was total darkness. I didn't know what was wrong. And then suddenly I felt something. My eyes felt really funny. They felt really crusty, and I'm like, Mom, what's wrong? What's going on? She came over, and she helped me wash out my eyes, and she said, Son, I I think you have pink eye. I I think think your eyes were shut solid from the pink eye, and that's why you couldn't see when you woke up. That's why it was total darkness. I woke up thinking that I should be able to see just fine, excited about my day, but I couldn't see anything at all. Do you value your eyesight? I'm so thankful that I can see. I'm so thankful for light. I'm so thankful that this room is full of light that we can see. Eyesight is incredibly valuable, and we learn that in the message to the Laodiceans. For those of you who haven't been here, we've been going through the book of Revelation, and we're in the seven churches. We've been going through the seven churches and seeing how these span across history, and specifically we've been diving into the Laodicean church, which is in Revelation chapter 3. I invite you to join me there, Revelation chapter 3, and it begins in verse 14. We've looked at it for a couple weeks because there's so much here, and it's so important for us today because this isn't just about Christians in general, though it is applied to Christians throughout history, but this applies to the people who are living on the brink of Jesus coming back. This applies especially to you and me. So my ears perk up in a special way when I read this message because I think this is what Jesus actually wanted to say to Templeton Hills, to the people, the Christians living in the last days just before Jesus comes back. 
Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14, Jesus speaking, he says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, that word means people of the judgment, right? These things says the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Last week we talked about how Jesus said that the world will know us by the love that we have, by the loving works that we show. That's how the world should recognize that we're Christians that we love, that we show Christ-like love, that we live the way Jesus lived, that we care about people's needs like Jesus cared about their needs. When we love this world the way Jesus loved it, then they'll say, hey, those are Christians. Really, Jesus did come. Really, the gospel is powerful. The gospel does change life because look at how it changed my life through the way they loved me. And it makes a difference. But here, there's a problem with the Laodiceans. They have some works, but their works are neither cold, there's not no works there, but they're also not on fire. They're also not full of good works. And Jesus says some strong words there. Because of this, because it's sickening, and this is the way we learned in the ancient city of Laodicea that actually they piped in the water from about six miles away from Hierapolis, from the hot springs, and as it got through the pipes, the the hot water, by the time it got to Laodicea, was only lukewarm. And nobody likes to just drink lukewarm water. I remember, uh, actually it was last Sunday, we were out in the sunshine with my family, and my brother-in-law went back to the shade canopy, and he, he was really thirsty. He had such a headache that he was going to drink some water. And he came back, and he said, well, I just had a sip. I said, why? You're, you have a headache because you're not drinking enough water. Why didn't you drink more water than that? He said, oh, the water was just... It was, it was lukewarm. It was hot. It had it been sitting in the sun. It was no good. We like to either drink our, our liquid really hot, like our hot chocolate or something like that, or we like to drink it refreshingly cold. But that lukewarm tends to be something that's not as appetizing. So Jesus says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth because you say... Now here's the key problem. They don't understand what their problem is. You say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see." We're going to focus on this last part, this ISAV part of the message to the Laodiceans. You see, Laodicea was actually known for its ISAVs. It was from, it was a yellow powder that was mixed into a paste, Phrygian uh, ISAV, that was applied to eyes, and it was world famous. People would come from all over the world in order to get this ISAV to help their eye problems so that they could see clearly. It's important to be able to see clearly. In fact, they had a bit of a medical school there in Laodicea where people learned how to treat different eye ailments. And specifically, this eye salve was especially important to the Laodiceans. Now we're going to begin in focusing on the remedies by focusing on the eye salve because I believe that it's the eye salve that opens the door for the other things that Jesus mentions. The white garments and then the gold that's refined in the fire. But without the eye salve, 
without seeing clearly our need. Because that's the problem with the Laodiceans. They don't realize that they're actually wretched and miserable, poor and blind. They think that everything's okay. They think that they're seeing. And what they need is ISAV so that they can see more clearly. With that in mind, go with me to the passage that was read a little bit earlier, Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 and verse 33, Jesus expounds a little bit on the importance of the eye. Keep in mind as we read this that in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus had said that we should let our light shine before the world that they may see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven. So Jesus equated letting our light shine with good works. So here you have the Laodicean church that's lacking in these fervent, on-fire works. They need to let their light shine. Jesus says, let your light shine that people may see your good works. So when we're talking about light, we're talking about the love of Christ shining in our hearts in such a practical way that it impacts the world around us. So here in Luke chapter 11 and verse 33, Jesus says, No one who has lit a lamp puts it in a secret place or under a basket. How many of you have a a light under your bed? I don't see many hands. In fact, I didn't see any. We don't put lights under our bed. We don't put lights behind the dresser. We put them out in the open. We put them on stands. We put them on the ceiling. We see lights on the ceiling here so that it can light up the whole room. And Jesus says that in continuing. He says, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. Then he expounds a little bit more on this light concept, this lamp concept in verse 34. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. Now the word here translated good, you'll see in the King James Version, it's translated single. Other versions have different things. The word here is really clear or single or when you're thinking about vision, it's like not having double vision. Have any of you ever had problems with double vision before where you're seeing two things at once? It makes it a little hard to function. Here Jesus is saying, let your eyes be single, focused, pure, clear, focused on the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is single, your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. So Jesus says the key is the eyes, the perception. When we understand things clearly, then the whole body will be full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. A while back, I went camping up near um, some four-wheel drive trails up near Lake Tahoe. I got there a little late. My friends had invited me. They're big into jeeping. And as I got there, the wife and uh, some of the kids were outside playing. And they told me that They had already left the group with the Jeeps and they'd gone out on the Rubicon already, so I needed to wait for a few hours until they came back from their trip. I was thinking, well, what am I going to do? And she said, well, there's a canoe there and we're right here on the lake. Why don't you just go out and explore the lake for a little bit? So I hopped in the canoe and I began to paddle out into the lake and I'm just looking around, looking around the lake. As I looked to the far end of the lake, something caught my attention. 
Now, if you've ever been in a room that's completely dark, you notice that light shines up really brightly. But have you ever been in a place full of light? It was a bright day. It was like 100 degrees out. On that bright day that was full of sunshine, something grasped my attention on the other side of the lake, and it was a dark circle just right on the surface of the water. I thought, what is that? That's strange. It looked really black, and so I began to paddle across the lake. And as I was going across the lake, it got a little bit bigger, but I still couldn't tell exactly what it was. So I said, well, I'm just going to have to go all the way across the lake and figure out what this dark circle is. So I got a little bit closer, a little bit closer. I thought, looks like the water goes inside of that. It's a, it's a cave, I think. So I was paddling along, and as I paddled closer and closer, I said, sure enough, there's a tunnel there. I wonder where it goes. So paddling the canoe, finally get to the other side of the lake and finally begin to enter this dark mining shaft. As I'm paddling in, at first you can't see anything. When you're focused, you've been out in the light and you come into darkness, it's really hard to see at first. But as, as I was going further into the darkness, into the depths of it, I began to, to see a little bit and I could see walls that were roughly dug out around me and Paddling in a little bit further, I could hear the water lapping up against the walls. I said, this just must be an old mining shaft. I wonder how far it goes. The further I got, the darker it got as I kept going in a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper. But pretty soon, I was able to, to generally pick out the things around me. I could just see a little bit of the walls and everything else. So I just kept going. And the whole time, I'm focused on darkness. And the darkness is becoming brighter and brighter to me. Deeper and deeper I went until finally I got to a place where <laughs> the canoe ran aground. I said, uh-oh. Well, I don't feel comfortable enough in this old mining shaft to just get out and wade a little bit further along, so I think I'm going to go back out. So I began to just paddle backwards for a while, paddling backwards. It's, it's, it's looking fine in front of me. I see this, this dark tunnel. And then I turn around and Ouch! As I look back at the far end of the tunnel, there's just this bright point of light that's shining brightly. And it was literally painful to my eyes to look at the light. You've probably experienced this before. If you wake up really early in the morning, it's still dark. And maybe you woke up, you didn't want to wake up. Your wife or your your child flipped on the light switch a little too early in the morning. Leah doesn't like it when I turn on the lights when she's asleep. It's not a pleasant thing for her, which is totally understandable. It hurts when you're used to darkness and you suddenly are exposed to light. But as I kept paddling, I eventually switched around and was paddling towards the light and I was squinting at first. It was literally painful, but little by little, my eyes began to adjust to the light. It began to get brighter and brighter. And then I was finally out in the beautiful day again. And I realized that while it was fun to explore that cave, it was so much more beautiful out there on that lake. There were mountains out there. There was grass. So many things that I hadn't noticed before. It was a beautiful day. The water looked beautiful. And I thought, I am so thankful for light. Jesus said that when our eye is dark, our body is full of darkness. But when our eye is on the light, that our body is full of light. Now, if you think about the world today, you think about what's going on in the world today, there's a lot of darkness, isn't there? Today, if you just mention the word Orlando, it suddenly brings to mind a whole lot of darkness, a whole lot of hate, a whole lot of fear begins to stir up inside of us. If you mention things like 
Brexit and what's going on in Europe right now, just yesterday, and seeing what's taking place with our global economy, it can stir up fear inside of us. There are a lot of scary things in this world that we can focus on. There's a lot of darkness out there. Maybe you've noticed in your own family, in your own spouse, or maybe at work with your coworkers, there's a lot of failures and problems and things that they do wrong. Have you noticed that about other people? Sometimes we're the best critics of all the people around us. We notice the darkness in their lives and wonder, well, why are they living like that? Our nation is facing a lot of moral choices and it's making a lot of the wrong choices where it's choosing darkness over light. We're living in the midst of a a polarized uh, political situation that no matter how you look at it, is unchristlike. It doesn't represent God's loving character. We're living in a world of darkness. And I don't know about you, but it becomes all too easy for me to begin to focus in on the darkness, to, to say, did you hear about this? Yeah, that's really scary. Or did you see what happened yesterday? Or, oh man, I wonder what's going to happen with Britain, and, and how's it going to happen with the European Union, and what's going to happen to the stock market, what's going to happen to my investments, and pretty soon I'm terrified about life. Pretty soon I'm worried about the next earthquake, I'm worried about the next hurricane, I'm worried about the next tornado. And I'm not fixing my eyes on the light. Little by little, I have to be careful because before long, I become full of darkness. I become full of dark feelings of depression, angst, anger, fear, hatred. All of these things can be stirred inside of us when we're focused on the darkness. But Jesus says, when your eye is full of light, then your whole body will be full of light. So let's look at a story where this took place. And while you're going there, Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah chapter 5, I wanted to read something to you from the book, or from the magazine, Review and Herald, August 8, 1893. It says this, In this world, we will become hopelessly perplexed if we keep looking upon those things that are perplexing. Have you found that? The more you look at perplexing things, the more perplexed you become. And yet, that's what our news avenues are focused on. When we had the Hope Clinic, we nearly couldn't get the free clinic where we provided free dental care, free eye care. We nearly couldn't get the news to cover it because of all the darkness in the world. Because of the big stories of Orlando that needed to be covered. The things of hatred, the things of fear that are constantly brought before our attention. Things of hope. They didn't really have time for it. And I understand why. I understand that we want to know what's going on in the world and that that's what gets us excited. That's why we turn on the news. But what does it do when we're constantly focused on that? When that takes up the bulk of our attention, when our eye is dark, our whole body is going to be dark. So it says, For by dwelling upon them, these perplexing things, and talking of them, we become discouraged. Praise God that light has been sown for the righteous. This is quoting from Psalm 97.11. And gladness for the upright in heart. How do we experience this light? How do we experience having our whole body full of light? I want the light, the joy that comes from fixing my eyes on Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 5 We pick up the story of a young prophet. Isaiah came as a prophet to Judea in a time where there was a lot of moral failings. Maybe similar to the United States today as we look at the world, we could say, hey, why is the world doing this and they're going after this and that when in reality we need to be focused on what God is doing 
and on what he is able to accomplish. But Isaiah, in the first five chapters, it's really intense. If you look at some of the the titles, the first above verse 2 for me in chapter 1 is the wickedness of Judah. That's where he starts out his message. And then he goes on just lamenting the wickedness of the people. And the people were wicked. They were following after false gods. They were not living in accordance with God's will. And in chapter 5, he begins to pronounce woes on the people who are living this way. If you begin in verse, we'll go down to verse 8. Isaiah says, Woe to those who join house to house. They add field to field till there is no place where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. Woe to those who leave no room for the poor among them, is what he's saying here. He goes on down to verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue until night till wine inflames them. These people were drunkards. We keep on reading the different woes down in verse 18. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as if with a cart rope that say, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come that we may know it. They're challenging God. They're shaking their fist at God. They're living in sin saying, let's see if God will show up. Let's see if he really cares. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. You remember Jesus said that in Luke 11. He said, those who have darkness inside, but they think it's light, woe to those people. Woe to those who call dark, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This is really the Laodicean condition of not recognizing that the things that they're doing, they're participating in, they look good on the outside, but really they're filled with darkness. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. They need to be able to see more clearly. Woe to those who can't see clearly. Woe to the men who mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. It's pretty depressing when you read through Isaiah chapter 5. You read what Isaiah has to say here to the people of Judea. It's a pretty depressing scene. I imagine that Isaiah was feeling pretty similar to how we feel as we look at the world today. We say, God, why do the wicked prosper? Why is all this happening? Why are people able to go on living in sin like this? And it's just wreaking havoc for our planet. But it just keeps getting worse for Isaiah. Go to chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died. right? So now Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died... Uzziah had reigned, or Azariah, he's known in other parts of the Bible, he reigned for 52 years. This was in a time for Israel where they actually became similar to when they were with Solomon. They were able to defeat a lot of their enemies. They were having quite a bit of prosperity. But Sennacherib from the Assyrians was beginning to attack Judea and all the areas around there. He was beginning to come against them more consistently. So there was some problems going on. But Uzziah was one of the main resistors of Sennacherib and his evil forces. But here you have Isaiah saying, the year that Uzziah died, the one who was defending us against this evil king who was trying to come over and take over our nation, in that year that he died, when all these terrible things were happening in the nation, he's a bit depressed here. Can you get it? He's wondering what's going on 
in this planet. Why all these bad things are happening. Even Uzziah, the end of his reign, ended pretty badly because he went into the temple and decided that he was going to sacrifice in place of the priest and he ended up coming out as a leper. He ended the rest of his reign as a leper. And so Isaiah is thinking, what is going on here? What is God up to? Why is all this all these terrible things are happening. And here he's feeling a little bit self-righteous. In fact, in the Review and Herald, it, it depicts this a little bit. Actually, we'll go to that in just a minute. Well, here, Isaiah recognizes all the depression. He recognizes all the woe in the world. He recognizes all the wickedness. But then God brings a solution to him. Isaiah has gone into the temple. He's there in the temple praying. And look at what takes place. Verse 1 continues. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Can you imagine? Isaiah's just gone in for his normal worship service, and he's there praying in the temple, and he's contemplating all this darkness, all this stuff that's going on in the world. And all of a sudden, he looks, and the doors of the temple are like opened for him. The veil is parted for him, and he sees the Lord Himself sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, And just the train of his robe fills the whole temple with glory. He sees this beautiful picture of God. A picture maybe like is described in Revelation chapter 4 where it's all these beautiful gems that that John uses to describe what God looks like on his throne. This bright rainbow surrounding the throne. This bright glory that comes from it that's so ecstatically beautiful. Here he sees the king seated on the throne in the year that that earthly king had died, in that year when things were in turmoil, wondering what's happening in the world, God reminds him of who is really seating on the throne, who is really there ruling the universe. Verse 2, above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Now the Hebrew word there for seraphim is kind of a little ambiguous, but seraph basically means fiery or shining. So these are, it's the plural of that. It's two fiery ones or two shining ones. We don't know exactly what they're like. Maybe they're the cherubim that were depicted above the ark. We're not sure exactly what they look like, but here they are. These beautiful, shining, fiery beings are there by the throne, this glorious, beautiful scene that. Isaiah is seeing. Can you see what God is doing for Isaiah? Isaiah has been focused on darkness. He's been filled with woe. He's been filled with all this dread about what's happening in the world. And God is giving him a picture of light. He's filling his eyes with light so that his whole being can be full of light. As he looks at this and he sees these two creatures, they have to have six wings, these creatures do, these seraphim. They have to have six wings because... Two of them are used for flying, but the other two are to cover their face and the other are to cover their feet and the rest of their body. They have to have six wings in order that they can shield themselves from all this beautiful glory. It's it's beyond what even these beautiful, fiery creatures can handle to be in the presence of Almighty God sitting on His throne. When you come out into light and you're used to darkness, it can be shocking. But these beings are already pure beings. And here they come, into the, they're in the presence of the Almighty God of the universe, the King of kings, 
And they have to veil their faces. They have to veil their feet at this immense beauty that is beyond themselves. So we keep reading, and it's similar to Revelation chapter 4 and what the four living creatures by the throne are ever doing. Verse 3 says, And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Isaiah had been looking at the earth, looking at all the woe, looking at it all and feeling like it was so full of darkness. But here these beings are saying, holy, 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 he's pure, he's holy, he's glorious, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. Isaiah had been distracted by the darkness and hadn't noticed all along that the light of God's glory was shining brightly in all the earth. Verse 4, and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, And the house was filled with smoke. Now up to this point, Isaiah had been feeling pretty pious about himself. He'd been feeling like all these other people are making all these mistakes and I'm here as a prophet to let the world know what's wrong with them. Do you ever begin to feel like that? When you notice the problems of the people around you? Maybe when you're at work and you notice that the people at work They made this mistake or they made that mistake. And pretty soon you feel like the best employee at your work. And you're not sure why they haven't elevated you to be the boss at your work. The more that you focus on the problems of others, the more that you compare yourself with other people, the more that you can pick out the darkness in their lives. And before long, you feel pretty good about yourself. I've experienced this before when when I've worked with people and I felt like, hey, why do they do it this way? It would be so much better if they did it this way. Or even when you're looking at the political landscape and you say, well, why don't they do this? Or why don't they do that? I have the answers. Maybe eventually we can feel like I would be a good president of the United States. We get pretty confused when we are focused on darkness rather than on light. Here, Isaiah, he's been focused on the woes. He's been focused on the depression. But everything changes in this moment when he sees who's the real king, when he sees who's the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, when he sees the glory of the God of the universe, the Almighty, the Omnipotent One, when he sees that beauty. Look at his response in verse 7, verse 6, verse 5. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Woe is me. Before he was pronouncing woes on the people. He was pronouncing woes for all of their sins, all the things that were happening in their lives. But now all of a sudden he says, woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm torn apart. Everything, I have nothing left. I'm but dust and ashes. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King. The Lord of hosts. Something happens like that when we see true beauty. I remember back in 2005 when I began to get to know a girl that became pretty special in my life. The first time that we went on a trip together, I remember I came back from that trip and my mom was already friends with Leah and she, she asked me, she said, what what are, what are the girls like that were there on that trip? Because I'd just recently gone through a breakup and she was hoping that maybe some of these really Christian girls would attract my attention that I would want to date one of them. And she said, what, what are these girls like? Do you? And eventually I told her, well, there's this one girl, Leah. She's, she's really beautiful. But, but more than that, 
I've never experienced a girl who's so unselfish, a girl who's always thinking of other people, who's so sweet, who spent the whole week ministering to these kids. This girl's heart is amazing. Then I said, if only God could make me worthy of a girl like that. You know, when you come into the presence of true beauty, not just outward beauty, but inner beauty, and that's truly the glory of God, is the glory of His character, His grace, His truth, His mercy, His love. When you come into the presence and recognize true beauty, it makes you feel totally unworthy. At least that's what it did for me in my life. And that's what you find it doing here for Isaiah. As Isaiah looks at the beauty, the glory of God, as he sees the power of the King of Kings, he says, Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. But thankfully, we learned a few weeks ago about Hebrews 4 where it says, We can come with boldness to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That throne of the King of Kings is the same throne that's full of mercy, that's full of grace, that's full of power for our lives today. And that shows up in the story as verse 6 continues, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, one of those fiery beings, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken from the tongs with tongs from the altar. He takes this fire from what was probably the altar of incense next to the, the most holy place. He takes this live coal, and he brings it with tongs. Then he places it, verse 7, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Friends, this is what Laodicea needs. We need to see our need for the King of Kings to bring cleansing, to set us on fire. We need a coal from the altar that will give us works that are set on fire. And this happens for Isaiah. Verse 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Here just a moment ago, he'd been saying, Who's worthy? Who's able to go? I, I feel totally undone. I feel like I have nothing to offer. And then God says, Well, who's able to go on this mission? Who is the one to go? Because Isaiah has been touched. He's been set on fire by that coal. He's able to respond and say this, Here am I, send me. He's finally recognizing that though he has nothing, the King of Kings can enable him, can empower him, can strengthen him to be a light to this dark world. And in Isaiah chapter 60, he goes on to say, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness, deep darkness has covered the earth, but the Lord has risen on you, and kings will come to your rising and nations to the brightness of your shining God's glory. Friends, when we fix our eyes on the light, it changes everything for us. It changed everything for Isaiah. He went from somebody who was so down in the dumps, somebody who was just pronouncing woes, that's all he had to say, to suddenly being, I'm the one who will go for you, God. I'm the one who will step into this place, and I'm willing to go because I've seen the King of Kings. Now the beautiful thing is, we may feel like, hey, how am I going to do this? There's no temple for me to walk into and see this beautiful grandeur. How am I going to see this beautiful depiction of the King of Kings? But in the Gospel of John, it reveals something about what Isaiah saw. Go with me to John chapter 12. 
John chapter 12 and verse 41, right after quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, the message that Isaiah brings after having this vision, John says that this is why Isaiah gave this message. Verse 41, these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Talking about Jesus. It says, Isaiah saw Jesus' glory. It was Jesus who was seated on the it was Jesus who was seated on the throne. It was Jesus who was the King of Kings. It was Jesus who the, the seraphim veiled their faces before. It was the pre-incarnate Christ who they would constantly cry out saying, Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And John had described this a little earlier in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 4 describing Jesus, it says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Do you want light in your life? Do you want to be able to dispel all the darkness in your life? Then fix your eyes on Jesus, the King of kings, who's exalted to the right hand of the Father. In Him was life, and that life was the light, and that light shines in the darkness goes down in verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John says we saw His glory. We saw His glory in all of its beauty, and we saw it revealed in Jesus Christ. If you want to see God's glory like Isaiah did, You don't have to go to Jerusalem and go on a pilgrimage and ask God to give you a vision. That would be a beautiful thing. But you have the opportunity that Isaiah didn't have. You can actually read about the life of the King of Kings who came down, lived and walked as a human being who has all glory, who Colossians chapter 1 says this is the express image of the person of God. You can fix your eyes on Jesus the loving Savior, the one who couldn't pass by a leper without placing his hands on them, who couldn't pass by the morning train where there was the the widow's dead son without raising that widow's son to life. You can fix your eyes on a compassionate Savior and in doing that, expect that you're going to be undone. Expect that you're going to say, this is totally different from the way I live. This is totally different from from my life and, and, and the way that I have been living my life. But that's okay. Because that leads us to the throne of grace. To find mercy and obtain help, grace to help in time of need. Friends, the answer for Laodicea is to fix our eyes on Jesus. The Review and Herald goes on to say that Isaiah had denounced the sin of others, but in this moment he began to see the sin exposed in himself. He now saw how little his wisdom was. And then it goes on to say this. This is from December 22, 1896. The vision given to Isaiah represents the condition of God's people in the last days. A people who feel like they have it together, who feel like they're picking out the problems in the world, but who don't recognize that they themselves need to be undone before the glory of God. They need a revelation of Jesus like they've never seen before. I'm so thankful that that revelation is so available to us, that we have the Bible that reveals Jesus to us in such living and beautiful colors that we can 
have the opportunity that prophets throughout uh, history, that kings throughout history have wanted to have of seeing Jesus in all his beauty. In closing, I just wanted to read this from Signs of the Times, September 3, 1896. It's a beautiful picture of what takes place in our hearts as we fix our eyes on Jesus. As a mind dwells upon Christ, the character is molded after the divine similitude. You know that's how it is when people are fixated on each other. They begin to, people even say, look like each other. I don't know if that's true or not, but people have said that about different people who have been married for years and years. Have you ever heard that? They must look like each other because they've spent so much time looking at each other. I don't know what's going to happen to Leah and I because when we were dating, people always said, you must be brother and sister, right? Because we already look alike. I always took it as a huge compliment because I think she's beautiful. And I hope that the more I look at her, the more that I'll look like her. I don't know if it quite works that way. But here, it's clear that looking at Christ, and 2 Corinthians 3.18 also makes it clear, as the mind dwells upon Christ, the character is molded after the divine similitude. The thoughts are pervaded with a sense of His goodness, His love. We contemplate His character, and thus He is in all our thoughts. His love encloses us. If we gaze even for a moment upon the sun in its meridian glory, when we turn away our eyes, the image of the sun will appear in everything upon which we look. Thus it is when we behold Jesus. Everything we look upon reflects His image, the Son of Righteousness. We cannot see anything else. We can't talk about anything else. Don't you want that to be what we have as Christians? That we've so fixated ourselves on Jesus that that's all we can talk about anymore is just Jesus and His amazing love for us? His image is imprinted upon the eye of the soul and affects every portion of our daily life, softening and subduing our whole nature. By beholding, we are conformed to the divine similitude, even to the likeness of Christ. To all with whom we associate, we reflect the bright beams of, and cheerful beams of His righteousness. We have become transformed in character for heart, soul, and mind are irradiated by the light of Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. Here again, there is a realization of a personal, living influence dwelling in our hearts by faith. Friends, I want that. I want that so much more. I want to reflect the beauty of Jesus in my life. I want for Psalm 97 verse 11 to become true in my heart that light is sown like seed for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. I want to be so full of Jesus that I'm bursting at the seams. I can't talk enough about Jesus because Jesus has become everything to me because He is the King of kings. He died on the cross, but He's also the reigning King who has all authority in heaven and on earth and He can handle every one of this world's problems and He can handle every one of your problems. Will you trust Him? Will you fix your eyes on the King of Kings who is so beautiful and who loves you infinitely? I'd like to close with a time of prayer just where we ask that Jesus would make Himself so much more beautiful to us that He would show us His glory. Father in Heaven, we come before You from different walks of life, from different experiences. Maybe we walked into this place with burdens on our mind, problems that we've been dealing with, but we come to You as the King of kings who's seated on the throne. And Father, I ask for forgiveness myself for f focusing on darkness, for focusing on the problems in my own life, for focusing on the problems in my own sphere of influence, for focusing on the problems in the world more than I focus on Jesus. Oh God, give us a hunger and a passion to see Jesus and Jesus only. 
Give us a hunger and passion for your glory. May we pray with Moses that you would show us your glory. Lord, give us a hunger for the Bible, that we would take time every day to read and to to take in the beautiful picture of Jesus that is presented to us there. Father, let us not just walk out of here having learned a little bit from the Bible, but let us walk out of here with a determination that we will fix our eyes on Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.